Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 390 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm going ask you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. Let me first start this episode by saying, and I should have started this last episode. I am under the weather. I have a cold. It's nothing more serious than a cold, but I have a cold. And I know last episode, you can definitely hear it in my voice, which is why I should have said something. I apologize. But... If you can hear it in my voice, if you can hear the sniffling, I apologize. I'm taking medicine. I'm, hopefully, I, I get over it soon, but it's just a cold. And if you're wondering what's wrong with my voice, that's it. <laughs> but where I want to start is accountability. I think accountability is the perfect place to start this episode with when we're talking about the Russell Wilson Denver Broncos situation because when we talk about the accountability pie there are so many slices that should be handed out it's not just one person two people there are so many entities and so many factors that got us here and it starts with accountability the thing about accountability is a lot of people accountability usually means that you have to accept and admit when there's something that you did that's at fault or there's something that you did that has caused this outcome. And a lot of people want to get off scots free. A lot of people want to get off and say, well, it wasn't me. It was him. It was him. a lot of people want to finger point. And while that 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 sometimes works, it only highlights the fact of you do not want to take accountability. Accountability is the word, and it feels like a lot of times accountability gets lost in sports. I'm not going to say I'm shocked that we got here. I kind of felt that we were going to get here when we talk about Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. When you pay someone at the time, the contract that you pay Russell Wilson, you're always going to be attached to that contract. Meaning they don't care what you did. They don't care who your name is, what they care about is, does your production warrant the contract that was given? And if it doesn't, you're always going to be criticized by the amount of the contract, meaning we gave him this amount. So he should be giving us this amount of production. And on top of that, when you get the amount of money that Russell Wilson got, the blame pie, <laughs> the the slice, the, the larger slice usually goes to you because you're the face of that contract. And they don't pay that contract to everybody. As we sit here today, the Denver Broncos have essentially benched Russell Wilson and 
will cut him as soon as the season ends. Now, yes, it's going to be a financial hit, but they're done with Russell Wilson. The Russell Wilson, Sean Payton experience they're done with. The question is, how did we get here? Because, and I talked about this, I talk about this a lot when I talk about Justin Herbert, when I talk about Josh Allen. There's unrealistic expectations a lot of times on quarterbacks. And a lot of those unrealistic expectations, like I said before, are stemmed or rooted in the contracts that they receive. And Russell Wilson getting traded from Seattle to Denver and then ultimately getting, what, $260 million. You're expected to be a game changer. You're expected to be a franchise changer when you get the money that you get. And this is a culmination of two years, obviously. Last year, Russell Wilson was god-awful. Worst <laughs> worst season for a superstar quarterback. Worst season of his career was awful. A lot of people can say that it was tied to Nathaniel Hackett. A lot of people can say, well, this is who Russell Wilson is. But again, a lot most of the blame is going to go to the person that gets the most money, makes the most money, which obviously was Russell Wilson. And then you get to this year. Exits Nathaniel Hackett, inserts Sean Payton. We know the track record that Sean Payton has when we talk about his stint in New Orleans and with Drew Brees and how successful that was. And you're expecting a flip, a change. You're expecting things to be different. And it didn't start off. In fact, it started off that way, but not in the way that you think it would start. Last year, the Denver Broncos had one of the best defenses in all of football. This year, at least the start of the season, not only did they have one of, if not the worst defense in football, they had historically one of the worst defenses in football history. This is under Sean Payton. And again, we talk about that blame pie. The blame isn't going to go to that defense as much as it's going to go to the fact of Russell Wilson makes the money that he makes. So he should be more of a he should be more of a solution than he was. And then they go on a winning streak. And there's a good shot that they make the playoffs. Then they lose again. And of course, where does the eyes point to? Where does the blame go? It goes to Russell Wilson. 
there's been a graphic that has gone around about how Russell Wilson has fared this season. And his numbers are very comparable to Patrick Mahomes' numbers. In fact, in a lot of categories, Russell Wilson has been better than Patrick Mahomes. As of right now, and seeing as though Russell Wilson has been benched, doesn't look like these numbers are going to change. He has 3,070 yards on the season, which is tied for 18th, or which is 18th, I'm sorry. He has 26 touchdowns, which is tied for 6th. He has eight interceptions with his tied for 85th, 84th, I'm sorry. And he has a QBR of 50.6, which is 21st. Now, if you look at that, those aren't terrible numbers. You're benching someone that has over 3,000 yards, 26 touchdowns to single-digit interceptions. And when you compare that to someone like Patrick Mahomes... Those numbers, at least this year, are comparable of a good quarterback. But the issue is we shouldn't be comparing that to Patrick Mahomes. We should be comparing that to a person that makes $260 million. And when you factor that in, or let me say this, that's what they're factoring in, at least the Denver Broncos, that doesn't cut it. So when we talk about accountability, this is where Russell Wilson deserves to take some of that accountability. He has not been playing the best. He's been playing much better than last year. I will give you that. Last year was abysmal. This year he's played much better to the point where you are on a you were on a five game win streak before losing, I think, two or three straight. And essentially, lose the the nail on the coffin. Obviously, was losing to the New England Patriots. I think it was on a Thursday night football, which essentially it didn't completely take you out the playoffs, but you went from like forty two percent to like five. So it's essentially a long shot to make the playoffs. And Russell Wilson could have played better. I will say that. Again, when you make the same, not the same, when you make the amount of money that Russell Wilson makes, you're expected to be more of a solution than he was. You're expected to be more of a blanket. That's, again, we, I talk about that a lot. Now, I'll be, I'll be honest. The same argument that I give with Justin Herbert is the same argument that you can give with Russell Wilson. They didn't pay you to just be one of the guys. They paid you to lift this organization to new heights. And while Justin Herbert has the talent to do so, he has not been able to. Whether that's his fault or not, he just hasn't. Same thing with Russell Wilson. They paid you all that money, especially in the division and the conference that you're in, to be a franchise changer, and he has not done that. And, again, I don't think it's all Russell Wilson's fault. Obviously, it's not all Russell Wilson's fault. And I, obviously don't, and I honestly don't think that majority of it 
is Russell Wilson's fault. But I do understand the thinking of, bro, we paid you all this money and you're... One thing that people don't talk about (laughs) is that graphic that goes around comparing Russell Wilson to Patrick Mahomes. Well, that's... It's widely understood that this is a down year for us for Patrick Mahomes. I understand that nobody is calling for Patrick Mahomes' job like they're calling for Russell Wilson's, but it's been a down year for Patrick Mahomes. So when you compare that, it's like neither one of those traits are comparable to someone that's making two hundred and sixty million dollars. So in that sense, that is where the accountability the slice of accountability goes to Russell Wilson. He could have played better. That's 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 plain and simple. He could have played better. And the fact that he did not play to the standard of which someone that makes 258, 260 million dollars should play to it, it makes situations like this easier to accept the fact of, oh, you're getting benched now and inst- they don't want to pay you as much as they said they were going to pay you in this contract. So they're going to cut you and bite a historic loss. But I will say this. And this is where. This is something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And this is where I will applaud Russell Wilson. There was a lot of things that I guess you can say was expected going into this seat or going. Well, that was expected when Russell Wilson went to the Broncos. You hear names like Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Will, Javante Williams. And you think, oh, okay, well, those are weapons. Those are great weapons that you could use. And then you know that the offensive line isn't the best, but the defense is still there. And that defense can supersede a lot of the offensive line struggles, seeing as though if Russell Wilson struggles, you can lean on the defense. Well, that's where the accountability now, the slice goes to the skilled positions. Because outside of Cortland Sutton, there has not been another reliable wide receiver. And honestly, outside of a couple games this year, even Corlin Sutton hasn't been the most reliable. The run game has been the run game, but that offensive line has been terrible for these last two seasons. And that defense that you can hang your hat on last year is not nowhere close to the same, at least the beginning of the year this year. Again, man, there is a lot of blame to go around. And I'm here to do it. (laughs) 
now I have to talk about Sean Payton and the organization. I kind of I kind of sandwiched that into one. I understand that Sean Payton inherited Russell Wilson. He didn't choose Russell Wilson. Actually, let me let me back up because that's that's not essentially true. The only thing Sean Payton didn't do is give Russell Wilson the contract. But Russell Wilson was there before Sean Payton got there, and he knew Sean Payton knew Russell Wilson was going to be there when he became the coach. Now I understand. You go, you saying, okay, we're going to give Russell Wilson a shot. You know, I came from Fox to coach this Denver Broncos team. I'm going to give Russell Wilson the best shot possible. I'm going to give Russell Wilson my best and see what happens. Well, as we sit here today, nobody can say or it doesn't feel, let's say, because I, I don't I don't know. I don't know Sean Payton personally. It doesn't feel that Russell Wilson has gotten the fair end of the stick, not just from this organization, but from Sean Payton. A report came out saying that. I think the game after they beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The organization came and said, we need you to pretty much defer on the injury guarantee that we put in your contract. And if you don't do that, we're going to bench you. Mind you, they went on a five, they were on a five, they went on a five game winning or four or five game winning streak after that with Russell Wilson, which means that the whole fear of being benched was there this entire time and on top of that we've seen the multiple times where Sean Payton has thrown Russell Wilson under the bus or the public humili uh, humiliating argument or whatever or talk down to that Sean Payton did to Russell Wilson on live t in on live TV it feels like shouts out to Ryan Clark. He said that in more of a aggressive way, which I, I appreciate. You expect your players, you expect your quarterback, you expect the people that you pay to have a level of professionalism and have a level of class when representing your organization, representing themselves, representing the NFL. Well, that hope and expectation was not given or has not been expected and has not been shown by Sean Payton. You can say what you want about Russell Wilson. You can you can talk about his shortcomings you can you can say that all of this is his fault cool 
But can you honestly say that you you feel that Sean Payton has been Russell Wilson's number one advocate? Can you honestly say that it feels like Sean Payton has done everything in his power to bring the best out of Russell Wilson? Now, obviously, Sean Payton didn't get hired just for Russell Wilson. He got hired to change the trajectory of the Denver Broncos. But from day one, coming at Russell Wilson about his personality off the field and on the field or you know, the whole kissing baby stuff. It has been, it feels like it's been a Sean Payton just going at Russell Wilson the entire season. And it hasn't even been a back and forth because Russell Wilson has shown the level of professionalism, the level of class, the level of character that you expect a player to show. But Sean Payton has not demonstrated that on the level that you would expect a coach to show. You see, all this blame today is, I'm hearing, is going to go to Russell Wilson. You paid Russell Wilson this much money. Russell Wilson has to be better, which is true. But what happens when the person that's making the calls, the person that's... When he isn't up to snuff, when he isn't putting the person that you gave all that money to in the best position. We we like to talk about today. When we talk about Golden State, right? And, you know, Clay Thompson does the four rings or Draymond Green does the four rings. What well, how does that four rings help you today? Sean Payton was incredible in New Orleans. How does that help you today? Sean Payton was incredible with Drew Brees. How does that help you today? Sean Payton got the best out of Drew Brees. Well, he's not getting the best out of Russell Wilson. I say this all the time. The 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 fit matters. That's a recurring theme of this podcast. Fit matters. And what we've seen is for the last two years, it feels like Russell Wilson, you can say what you want about his shortcomings. You can say what you want about his his pros and his cons. But hasn't it felt like Russell Wilson has been dropped into a system instead of a system being built around him. You know how hard it is as a quarterback to have to acquiesce to somebody else's system when you've been playing a certain system this entire time. Now you can say this year has been more uh, been closer to what Russell Wilson's used to, but it's even been admitted that Sean Payton has dumbed down his his playbook dumbed down his scheme for Russell Wilson. Super Bowl winning Russell Wilson. So now when you look, 
and you hear we know that this is about financial gain or finance or saving finances for the organization but Sean Payton says it's about winning and you're going with what Jared Stidham and we desperately want to win no you don't want to lose you don't want to risk Russell Wilson getting injured so you have to be on the hook to pay him the next two years of the next one I think that this is the perfect example of what happens when and how important it is that your starting quarterback and your coach are aligned. I can admit, and I think even Russell Wilson has admitted it, that going into the Denver Broncos situation, especially last year, that there were things that Russell Wilson could have definitely done differently and should have done differently. The whole parking space, the alienating himself from his teammates, the office that he had in the facility that players usually don't have an office. You know, things could have been different. But I feel like there's been accountability taken on one side, but not the other. Because where is the accountability? And I, and again, I respect and I love what Ryan Clark said. He, essentially, Sean Payton has acted like a thug in, in when pertaining to, or in pertaining to dealing with Russell Wilson. You knew from day one, which is shocking to me that I get you wanted to come back and coach so bad. But from day one, it felt like Russell Wilson or Sean Payton didn't want Russell Wilson. Then why'd you come back? I I get that whole, I want to show the world how good of a coach I am. And I want to build this from the ground up. Well, Sean, I do also want to remind you of how good Drew Brees was. And kind of like we talk about with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, it wasn't just you, my G. And quiet as it's kept, as bad as we want to talk about Nathaniel Hackett, the defense was much better a year ago than it was today. Or than it is today. Again, man, there's a lot of accountability to go around. But I feel like a lot of it is going to Russell Wilson when, honestly, Russell Wilson, while he hasn't been the best quarterback in the league this year, he's been much better than last year. And that's all that you can expect, especially when a lot of the factors around him has not been up to snuff or has not been what there's has not played to their potential and on top of that when the coaching staff has not been great 
Whose fault really is it? Again, I understand that this is financial. But say that. Don't talk about whole where I desperately want to win and this is about winning. There's no one. I don't give a fuck. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't care how bad Russell Wilson plays. There's no one in heaven or hell that can convince me that Russell Wilson's not better than Jared Stidham. And on top of that, the last thing I'm going to say about this before I move on is what's next for Russell Wilson. I think that is very difficult. It's very difficult. I think, how do I explain this? To a lesser extent, but on the same plane, Russell Wilson kind of fits in the same class as a uh, Cam Newton or a, a Baker Mayfield at this point. It's very difficult for me to see Russell Wilson as a backup. And I think that teams are going to look at Russell Wilson and say, well, he he can't be a backup because anytime that a quarterback has a bad game, has an issue, all the questions are going to be, well, why are you not starting Russell Wilson? Are you going to start Russell Wilson? Should you start Russell Wilson? Which is going to cause a distraction and a rift in the locker room. I could see Russell Wilson. I don't know what happens with the commanders in the draft. But I can see Russell Wilson with the Commanders. I can see him with the Falcons. I can see him with the Steelers. I think that would be a really good fit with him and him and the Steelers because you have George Pickens. You have Deontay Johnson. You have uh, Nazir Little. Like, I can see that. And the defense is good. I can see him. Did I say Atlanta? Maybe Atlanta because uh, they don't know what the hell they got going on with Taylor Heineke, with Desmond Ritter. And you have – we might see finally see the best out of Kyle Pitts. Maybe Minnesota. I don't think that they're they're bad enough to get a good quarterback in the draft. And we don't know what's going to happen. Like, we don't know how long it's going to take Kirk Cousins to come back. Uh, the Patriots, if, if, uh, what's his name? Bill Belichick stays. There's There's options for him. But it's just you're going to need that team because my fear is that the next my, the, the worst case scenario is that this is it for Russell Wilson. People look at Russell Wilson the same way they look at Cam Newton, how he's, quote unquote, too big to be a to be a uh, backup quarterback. And that would really suck if this is it for Russell Wilson. I, I hope not because I think that he's still has the potential to be a great quarterback and be on that Hall of Fame trajectory that he was before he went to Denver. And I, I mean, I wouldn't mind if we, and when I say we, I mean the commanders, or the commanders can't get what? I don't know how much, di, di, I don't know. If we can't get a Caleb Williams, if we can't get a Jaden McDaniel, I, I would pick Russell Wilson over Drake May. I'll tell you that. 
uh, tired of those. Never mind. I just I, I'm interested to see where Russell Wilson goes after this because it's clear that his time in Denver is over. So let's move forward. I'm coming. I'm not coming around. I think I'm there. That this Cleveland Browns team is a Super Bowl caliber team. I, I, for the longest, I've said that this Denver, I mean, this Cleveland Browns team is a Super Bowl defense. I think that this Cleveland Browns team is a Super Bowl caliber team. And I understand. So on Thursday night football, the Cleveland Browns beat the Jets 37 to 20. The story isn't the fact that they beat the Jets. I mean, at this part, especially when you look offensively, it's not the the, the Jets aren't the hardest team to play right now, especially when we're talking about how inept they are offensively. But going into the game, we have praised Joe Flacco and how he's been able to adapt to this Cleveland Browns team and how Joe Flacco has gotten the best out of these receivers and gotten the best out of the offense that for majority of this year was kind of sputtering with Deshaun Watson. Now we were watching Deshaun Watson in real time, trying to get back to that Houston Texans form. And it was essentially hurting the team. And a lot of people were questioning how does this offense and does this Cleveland Browns team look so good with a player that was literally at home in Joe Flacco. And I've said on several occasions this is more of a Kevin Stefanski thing because what what you're doing is and never mind. <laughs> this is more of a Kevin Stefanski thing. What Kevin Stefanski is doing is he's seeing the 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 strengths that his quarterback has and maximizing those strengths and not expecting him to adapt to a system. Kevin Stefanski is adapting to his quarterback, Sean Payton. You don't see, I don't think I've seen a lot of rollouts, a lot of uh, quarterback options or, or RPOs with ex, with them expecting Joe, Joe Flacco to run. Joe Flacco has been surgical with this ball since he's been back because Kevin Stefanski has built a system. And shouts out to him because you know how tough it is to build a system around a quarterback that is nothing like your starting quarterback. I talk about this a lot, man. The, the backup quarterback and the starter should be this should be close to the same skill set. Like was it Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson? They're damn near. Now obviously Lamar Jackson is much better, but the skill sets are kind of the same. The last thing you want is a is one type of starting quarterback and a completely different type of 
backup because it's tough if the starter goes down. You got to throw out that playbook because the backup can't do the same things and doesn't generate the same type of energy that the starter does. So that is more of a shout out to Kevin Stefanski because Joe Flacco is nothing like Deshaun Watson. Not no body type, not no, uh, like, he can't run like Deshaun Watson. He is nothing like Deshaun Watson. And he's, the, 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 the Browns are still getting the best out of Joe Flacco. And the reason why I said that I think that this is a Super Bowl caliber team, because again, I've been saying that this is a Super Bowl caliber defense, but this is a Super Bowl caliber team. Because I think that's it's it's kind of under under discussed how important it is to have an adult in the room. And that's no offense to Deshaun Watson. But when I when I'm speaking about adult in the room in this instance, someone that has done it before, someone that has been to the mountaintop, i.e. the Super Bowl and ultimately won it. It's a different people look at players different or players look at other players that have been to the mountaintop and that has won a Super Bowl. They look at them different. Why do you think that one of the most important voices in the room right now for Baltimore is Odell Beckham Jr. Because he's one of the only players on that team that not only has been to a Super Bowl, but has won a Super Bowl. Not, I'm, I'm sure he's not the only, but he's one of them. And Joe Flacco isn't completely changing the organization that is the Cleveland Browns, but what he's doing is He's now able to maximize someone like David Njaku. David Njaku on Thursday had six receptions for 134 yards. Elijah Moore, which I hope that he gets back right. I hope that everything's okay. We saw the the hit to the head and we saw, you know, what his body was doing. I wish nothing but a speedy recovery. We understand that football is a dangerous sport and uh, you're you're pretty much risking injury on every play and that's not me uh saying that to get over that's me saying when it does happen it's still tough to see so i wish nothing but a speedy recovery for elijah moore whether he plays football again which i'm 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 pretty sure he will or not i hope that physically he's okay and i hope that he is I hope that he has a speedy recovery. But what I was saying is Joe Flacco, especially at the quarterback position, when you have been to a Super Bowl and you've won, you don't expect a lot of childish mistakes. And when I say childish mistakes, again, this is no disrespect to Sean Watson. This is no disrespect to any quarterback that hasn't won a Super Bowl. But there's a reason why the Rams are playing as good as they are right now. And 
I'm sure that the Rams would not be playing as good if Matthew Stafford wouldn't have gone through what he went through and ultimately won a Super Bowl. This Cleveland Brown, Joe Flacco has completed this offense. Now, I'm not saying Deshaun Watson wasn't getting to that point, but he wasn't there. Joe Flacco has completed this offense to the fact, to the point of you fear not just this defense, but this offense, because you know, I mean, Joe Flacco, who was falling asleep on the bench, had 309 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. That 19 for 29, that is a seasoned quarterback. And I think it's so fascinating if things play out the way that they could play out. I think it's so fascinating that the Browns could end up playing the Ravens. Obviously, AFC North opponents and Joe Flacco led the Ravens to their latest Super Bowl. I think it was 2009, I believe. That would be crazy. But, yeah, the Ravens, I mean, the the Cleveland Browns, the one of their biggest holds, and I thought that the hole was going to get much bigger, was obviously their quarterback. Deshaun Watson was trying to get back to form, and obviously that was hurting the team at the time. And I thought that getting Joe Flacco won a quarterback that is nothing like their starter and a quarterback that wasn't even in the league. I thought that, oh, it's it's definitely over with for the Cleveland Browns. And as I sit here today, the Cleveland Browns can very assurably be a Super Bowl caliber team. And before we leave this, I want to talk about something. I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers for a second. I think this whole Aaron Rodgers thing, this whole Aaron Rodgers season, goes back to the first point that I was saying in this entire episode, and that is accountability. I understand that Aaron Rodgers goes out with the fourth play of this of the season. And I understand that when you have a quarterback on the level of Aaron Rodgers and the expectations behind the season, the expectations with that quarterback are quickly dashed in four plays of the season and you have to pivot when you didn't expect to have to pivot. I understand the frustration. I understand the level of what's next, what's next. I get that. But it feels like 
almost everything that comes with Aaron Rodgers at this point is a show. Whether that, I mean, I'm not here bashing his beliefs. I'm not here bashing his ideologies. I'm not here bashing him. Because I don't know him. I don't know his beliefs outside of what he's told us. And I, I don't, it's not for me to talk about what someone should or shouldn't believe, should or shouldn't practice. It's not for me to say. I have, I should have no bearings on anybody's life of what they should and should not do. I'm just here speaking about sports and giving my opinion. But it, it, it what's interesting to me, and I saw Nick Wright talking about this, what's interesting to me is how fierce Aaron Rodgers wants to make it seem like he doesn't want to be the center of attention. Or he doesn't want to be talked about in certain lights. Yet he's the one that brings us to that world. And if you don't want to bring us to that, if you don't want to be the the main character, if you don't want to be seen, if you don't want to be heard, if you don't want to be a quote unquote distraction, don't bring us into that world. Whether that's the whole uh, ayahuasca thing, whether that's the darkness retreat, whether that's the, you know, retirement. Am I going to retire? Am I not going to retire? Whether that's to I'm coming back as a Packer. Oh, they didn't want me. Ah, whether that's the I'm going to I'm going to defy time and defy modern medicine history and come back in this season. Or that's the ah, well, I'm good. I'm, I'm coming back. Then you see that the Jets are out of the playoff hunt. Ah, it's not realistic. I was never coming back. Or I wanted to come back. I was just overruled. I'm good enough to come back. I, it was just the Jets. They overruled. They told me that I couldn't come back. Bruh, what? You know what, people? People forgot the value of silence. I'm not accusing Aaron Rodgers of being in this social media age. But with social media, not only has people devalued privacy, they've also devalued science. I mean not science, silence. You don't have to talk about everything. You don't have to announce everything. You don't have to put everything on wax. I get that you have a weekly interview with Pat McAfee. Shouts out to that crew. Shouts out to Pat McAfee's show. But you don't have to. My thing is, don't continue to bring us into your world and then be shocked when we look at you as the main character. I didn't ask you. We didn't ask you about none of this. On top of that, we didn't. You didn't need to answer the way that you've answered. You didn't need to do that. You chose to do that. I, I just think it's interesting that he continues to play this whole. I don't know why y'all believe this. I don't know. I'm just trying to mind my business. But no, bro. You keep bringing. You keep being the main. Trying to be the main character of this show. 
and you're upset when the cameras are on you now. Like, people have devalued science, silence. You don't need to say everything, bro. You don't need to say anything. Man. It's just interesting how not only we look at Aaron Rodgers, but we look at this Jets organization, this Jets situation, how differently we look at it from before game one to now week eight, week 17, and how drastically different it looks, how promising it looked before week one compared to now and how dreadful it looks. The fact that you don't know what's going on with the quarterback. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be great? Aaron Rodgers said he wants to come back and play more than one year. Is Robert Sala going to be there? You know, it's it's a lot. It's crazy. Speaking of week 17, let's move on and give my prediction from week 17. This is a very important week for a lot of teams in their playoff uh, hopes. Some teams could potentially clinch the their division. Some pl- teams can clinch the conference it's a very important week you know week 17 and we're going to start with the lions at cowboys this game was very challenging for me to pick and it was very challenging because dallas is trying to avoid a three-game losing streak i believe and the, the detroit lions they're hot right now And on top of that, we know how good Dallas is. I mean, Dallas is undefeated at home this year. Uh, And we know some of the shortcomings that the Lions have dealt with. But I also understand and know that the Lions' strength this year has shown to be some of Dallas' weaknesses, whether that's stopping the run. The Lions have one of the best rushing attacks in football. Well, the the Dallas Cowboys, you can get yards on the Dallas Cowboys, which we've seen countless times this year. Uh, What Jared Goff are we getting? Can we get the poised Jared Goff that essentially got the Rams to the Super Bowl compared to the Jared Goff that can be erratic and can throw the ball all over the place and essentially put his team in poor situations? The only reason why I'm going with the Cowboys is how how good they've been at home and the fact that they're undefeated at home and we talked about momentum last episode and how momentum is different from away away teams and home teams well Dallas obviously is considered quote-unquote America's team they just have a different feel at home than they have on the road so I'm gonna pick the Cowboys to beat the Lions uh at home on Saturday or today, you have the Dolphins at Ravens. This was also a very tough game for me to pick because I, I think the Ravens are, is the best team in football at this point. I think that they've proven that after they beat the 49ers last week. But that in there lies the issue. We've seen on several occasions teams get up for certain games and teams – uh, like one game, it's very hard. You see this a lot in college as well, like a rivalry game. 
And then after that, the next game, they have a drop-off. Or the game before a rivalry game, they have a lull. I don't, I'm, I'm not disrespecting the Miami Dolphins at all, but I'm sure that the Ravens look at the 49ers much differently than they look at the Dolphins. And I, and I kind of fear that there's going to be a lull there. Now, on top of that, it has been confirmed that Jalen Waddle's not playing. So do the Ravens kind of take their foot off the gas? Or is this the game where the Ravens fall? Uh, mm. it's very uh, mm. I'm going to pick the Ravens though I think the Ravens being at home Miami not having Jalen Waddle so you can solely focus on Tyreek Hill and stopping the run game Kyle Hamilton is playing like an all-pro safety. Marlon Humphreys is playing well. Jadavion Clowney and Roquan Smith are having monumental seasons. Just like homeboy, I forgot his name, but I think that he, it starts with an M, I believe. He's like one of the leading sack getters. I'm going to go with the Ravens, but I do think I will not be shocked to the Ravens. I, I will say this, and I know this is crazy to sound or it sounds crazy, but I expect the Ravens to win, but I would, I would not be shocked. And let me say this, actually, I think the Ravens are going to win. Everything is pointing to the Ravens, but I wouldn't be shocked if the Dolphins win. I don't think that that derails anything for the Ravens outside of now. I think that there's a possibility that they might not get the number one seed, which is huge for Baltimore in the playoffs. Uh, and I think also Baltimore knows that, too. Like they kind of I think this is the, their remaining toughest game uh, next week. The Ravens play. Let me see. Next week, the Ravens play the Steelers. We know they've been kind of inept on offense. So I'm going to go with the Ravens. I'm going to go with the Ravens. Patriots at Bills. The Bills are playing for their playoff lives at this point, and they understand that they have to pretty much win out to make the playoffs. I have the Bills winning. The Patriots struggle. I know people are looking at them beating the Broncos, but I think the Broncos and Bills are on two different levels right now. I have the Bills winning that one. Falcons at Bears. The Falcons did look much better with Taylor Heineke as their starting quarterback or at, at the start of or as their starting quarterback. And Justin Fields did look good. I think Justin Fields is playing motivated because the organization is kind of in limbo compared to are they going to keep Justin Fields? Are they going to keep Caleb or are they going to draft Caleb Williams? So I think that the Bears are going to win this game. I think that Justin Fields is just playing more motivated and the defense has come around. Who would have thought? Getting Montez Sweat would be a much better defense. Ravens, Commanders. Um, Titans at Texans. C.J. Stroud is playing. Uh, and so because of that, I had the Texans. I think C.J. Stroud, he's – I know he did miss his last two games and there could be some rust there, but I just think that he's the better quarterback, obviously, whether we talk about Ryan Tannehill or Will Levis. I have C.J. Stroud playing or winning in the. I have the Texans beating the Titans. Raiders at Colts. Uh, 
I remember how bad the Colts looked last week and how good this Raiders defense looked. Now, I understand there was different motivation. One, you're playing against a divisional rival in the Chiefs. The other one, you're playing against the Colts this week. But I like what I'm seeing out of the Raiders and how even if they're undermanned, even if they obviously aren't the better team, they're always in it. So I'm going to pick the Raiders to beat the Colts. Again, I don't like what I saw from the Colts a week ago against the Falcons. Uh, and I do think the Raiders, even though the records are the, are the same, I do think the Raiders are better than the Falcons right now. So I have the Raiders. Panthers at Jaguars, again, it's the Panthers. Uh, I, I will highlight again that what's his name has uh, – Trevor Lawrence has struggled with turning the ball over all season, but I do think that the Jaguars are going to win. Rams at Giants. The Rams are one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in football right now. I have the Rams beating the Giants. Cardinals at Eagles. Eagles know how important it is that they need to win, especially seeing the Cowboys in them are are pretty much neck and neck for the AFC or NFC East. I'm sorry. I think that I think the Eagles are going to win. The Cardinals is not a good team at all. And the Eagles, even though they do struggle and have struggled finding their identity this year, I have the Eagles winning. Saints at Buccaneers. This is a huge game for both teams, obviously. Uh, but I think the Buccaneers are playing better. I think that Baker Mayfield has played himself into a longer contract. Shouts out to him for that. And I just think that right now I trust, shockingly, I trust Baker Mayfield more than I trust Derek Carr. And this Saints offense has struggled most of the year, so I'm going to pick the Buccaneers. 49ers at Washington. Talking about an angry team that just lost to the Ravens. Chase Young has a different level of motivation because you're playing the team that not only drafted you, but traded you. Uh, yeah, I think the 49ers are going to kill Washington. Oh, not to mention, uh, Jacoby Brissett is starting. Who, on all, all terms, have been be- has been better than uh, Sam Howell, but that hasn't really said much. Yeah, the 49ers are going to kill Washington. I, think. I don't even think it's going to be close. Steelers at Seahawks. I have the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks have kind of struggled with their identity as well, but offensively they have been much better than the than the Steelers, even if Mason Rudolph is playing. Uh, so I have the Seahawks. Chargers at Broncos. Jared Stidham is better than Easton Stick. So <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, the Broncos. Bengals at Chiefs. The Bengals just lost by 23 points to somebody. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I know the Chiefs have heard a lot of noise. Rightfully so. The Chiefs have struggled. But the Bengals, I think the Bengals are just on the on the, on the bad end of a Chiefs week. So I think the Chiefs are going to win. And Monday night football, I mean, no, Sunday night football, I'm sorry. You have the Packers at Vikings. I got the Packers. I know that the Vikings are probably a better team, but I think they're starting their rookie over Nick Mullins and Joshua Dobbs. And uh, 
I know Zaire Alexander is getting suspended for this game, but yeah, I'm going to go with the Vikings. I mean, no, I'm going to go with the Packers. Those are my predictions. Let me know how you feel. Speaking of predictions, let's stay on the predictions. We have, because next time that we see each other, the college football semifinals or the first game of the college football, the Rose Bowl and the All-State Sugar Bowl is what have happened. And you have number four, Alabama, going against number one, Michigan, in the Rose Bowl. And then you have number three, Texas, going against number two, Washington. I'm going to give my bowl predictions. I have not done that yet. So, yeah, let's start with the let's start with the Rose Bowl, Alabama at Michigan. Yes, I honestly I obviously believe that. Both of these teams, all four of these teams, Michigan, Alabama, Texas and Washington, they all can win. They all are good enough in their own right to obviously win a national championship. They're the final four. (laughs) And Alabama is an interesting case to me. I understand that nobody wants to play Alabama. It's it's Alabama. But when you look at the crux of Alabama this year, there are holes that can be exploited with Alabama. We saw that against Auburn. We saw that to a certain extent against uh, um, Texas. We saw that against Georgia. You can run on this Alabama team. And when you're going against Michigan, who is one uh, or has Blake Corman, their primary focus is to run the ball. That could bode well for Michigan. And on top of that, as we've seen all season, this is one of the weaker Alabama offensive lines. And I do understand that Michigan is did lose their best offensive lineman in the Ohio State game. So that can also affect them as well. But I just think I've seen I've seen Alabama be great. Don't get me wrong. I've seen Alabama, they beat Georgia, which was obviously the number one team. So I've seen them be great this year. I think Jalen Melro has been great. His maturation from the first game to where he is now has been incredible to see. And I would not be shocked if Alabama wins this game. Alabama is Alabama. They have studs at the wide receiver spot. They have quickness. It's Alabama. So you know the physicality, especially at the defensive line. Going against Michigan's offensive line is going to be incredible. And J.J. McCarthy, he struggled, especially towards the end of the season as far as passing. I don't know. That's going to have to play a part going against Alabama because Alabama, while they struggle with stopping the run a lot, you know that that's going to be the number one focus uh, for Alabama. Yo, we cannot let Blake Corm go off. We, if, if they're going to win, J.J. McCarthy's going to have to beat us. And J.J. McCarthy, especially going into the season, he looked a lot better throwing the ball, but I don't know. Um, I'll say that looking at each team's best and worst, and what I mean by that is 
looking a team how they looked at their best and how they looked at their worst is how I determine who's going to win this game. Alabama, obviously, I think their worst was a going against. Uh, honestly, people are going to say their worst is when they went against Texas. I think they looked their worst going against uh, Auburn. Auburn, it, it took a miracle play at the end of the game to win. And Michigan, I think they looked their worst probably against Maryland. And then I see what their best, right? Alabama looked their best, in my opinion, against Georgia. And Michigan looked their best against Ohio State. I think that Michigan is closer to their best than they are their worst. And I think that Alabama is closer to their worst than they are their best because I've seen them struggle against Missouri. I've seen them struggle so many times this year. Now they have blown people out, but I've seen them struggle so many times this year. I'm picking Michigan to win this game. I think that Michigan, they they there's so many times they get so close to the national championship and they just don't make it. I think that this is the year that they have the personnel, they have the defensive line. Yes, they lost their best offensive lineman, but I just think I just think Michigan this this it feels like this is Michigan's year. I could be wrong, but I have Michigan beating Alabama in the Rose Bowl and Michigan obviously making it to the national championship. And for the Sugar Bowl, this is interesting because Texas and Washington are kind of the same team in a certain in certain instances, right? Both of them are high octane offenses. Both of them have a NFL caliber quarterback in Quinn, Ewer, Quinn Ewers and uh, Michael Penix. And Texas has a much better defense, but Washington's defense comes to play in certain moments. And I think that can come back to bite them. But I don't know if Texas has played a more prolific offense this year than Washington's because you have you have court uh, NFL tight wide receivers all around the field, whether that's uh, a Dunze, whether that's Polk, they have, they have their, their running back and their wide receivers. All of them have NFL type court, NFL type players. And then you have Michael Penix. Mm. I did. I, I do think that, the defense of Texas is going to be a lot for Washington. And I'm interested to see how Texas's defense handles that level of speed and that level of agility at the skill positions that Washington deals with. Then I go back to their toughest games. Washington has struggled a couple times this year, but their obviously two best wins was against Oregon. And Texas' best win obviously was against Alabama. Um, This is tough. Because I think that these outside of the defense, I think that's it. I think these both of these teams are incredibly similar outside of the defense and 
I have seen Washington struggle with a good defense. I mean, or they struggle with Oregon, even though they did beat Oregon twice. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas. So I think the national championship is going to be Michigan and Texas. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I think that's 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 the harder game to choose from between Texas and Michigan. I mean, Texas and Washington because they're very similar. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, and lastly, before we go, we talk about accountability in this episode. We talked about pivoting a little bit this episode. For the unpopular topic of the day, I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell and the future of Donovan Mitchell. What changes expectations? The question is, what changes a team's expectations of the season? A lot of things, slow starts, fast starts, players not living up to their potential, players outseeding or outplaying the potential that you thought they would be at that certain moment. There's a lot of things that change the outcome or that change the perspective of the season. Another thing that changes the perspective of a season or the outcome or the, the look of a season is injuries. Injuries play a huge part of how teams not only operate in the present, but operate moving forward. The Cleveland Cavaliers have been dealt some unpopular hands this year, whether that's injury to Evan Mobley, whether that's injury to Darius Garland. Two, I mean, they're starting point guard and they're starting power forward slash center. Which has then called called into question what happens with Donovan Mitchell, who is their quote-unquote star player. Now, there is a recurring theme right now in the league that I don't know if you're paying attention to, and that is the importance of tall guards and how successful tall guards are and have been this year, whether that's Shea Gilders-Alexander, whether that's uh, Luka Doncic, whether that's who's another tall, DeJounte Murray to a certain extent. Tall guards have been much better than, or has been much more important than ever. Now, you can look and say, well, you know, Steph Curry's not tall. Damian Lillard's not tall. Jalen Brunson's not tall. Very true. But look who they're playing next to. Like, when we talk about defense, Klay Thompson is still 6'7". R.J. Barrett, even though he struggles, R.J. Barrett is still much taller than Jalen Brunson. I mean, the <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks struggle. Of course, their backcourt struggles defensively, but you still have... Um, 
Drew Holiday. I mean, not Drew Holiday. You still have uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo there. So there are some small guards, obviously, that are flourishing, but tall guards are very important. Offensive tall guards. And then we get to Donovan Mitchell. And you're hearing a lot of what's what's next for Donovan Mitchell. Is he going to get traded at the deadline? What happens? Because there is a growing belief that Donovan Mitchell is not long for <laughs> the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers. We even kind of felt that when he first went there. I think it would be best if the organization goes to him and says, hey, are you going to resign after this season or not? What's, what's going to happen? If he says no, you kind of have to trade him at the trade deadline. At least to get something back for him. But the issue is, and why this is such a wild thing, is where does he go? Because as we've seen, Donovan Mitchell needs the ball in his hand to, th- to flourish. And I and I never thought that the fit with him and Darius Garland was a match made in heaven in the first place. But as we've seen, they have not played the best together. And we're on the trend with tall guards, where he can't go to a place like where the the Kings because you can't take the ball out of the Darren Fox's hands. It's very interesting to to think where could he go, and still produce wins because a thought was well he can go to the Knicks. Well, nobody thought that Jalen Brunson was going to be this good. So now why would you break up Jalen Brunson? I'm th- I'm looking at this ro- I'm looking at the NBA roster. I mean, I'm looking at the NBA. And there's only a few teams that I can see. I could see the Toronto Raptors, but they have Dennis Schroeder and what does who is Toronto going to have to give up cuz Donovan Mitchell's still a star, you know? I see the Oklahoma City Thunder, but Donovan Mitchell, again, can't play the two guard. And you don't want to take the ball out of Shake Gilder's hands. I mean, he's an MVP candidate. I was thinking about the Lakers. Because we know how much the Lakers have struggled with points. But can Donovan Mitchell play without being the primary ball handler. And as we've seen, it has been sort of a struggle. I was thinking maybe the Grizzlies, but I mean, that's those are that's a small backcourt with Donovan Mitchell and uh, uh, John Morant. The two teams that came to mind where I think John, uh, Donovan Mitchell can fit is New Orleans and the Suns. New Orleans, because you have a, I mean, Donovan Mitchell at the one, CJ McCollum, that's still a small guard, but, and then you have Zion and Brandon Ingram. That's a tough starting five, or that's a tough five. And then the Suns get the ball out of 
D Booker's hands. Well, she's been good, but he's not a point guard. So you have him starting at the point. Donovan or Devin Booker, Bradley Bill, Kevin Durant. That'd be tough. Now defensively, which is their biggest problem, I don't know. But that'd be tough offensively. What I'm saying is this. This Donovan Mitchell situation has highlighted two things in the NBA. Three things. One, it highlights where the NBA is 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 trying to lean on. And obviously they're trying to lean, they're trying to head in the direction of taller guards and guards that can defend. Two, it really shows, it, it really highlights what happens when a team pivots and, and has to pivot from their original stance. Because I'm sure going into this season, the the Cavaliers didn't think they'd be in this situation. And three, it shows. I mean, I know that they were just talking about in social media. They were talking about last year around this time. We saw two players, Donovan Mitchell and Dan, uh, Damian Lillard, put 70 on the board. But just a year after, I'm not saying that he's untouchable to say the least, but what I'm saying is a person that put up 70 is not a perfect fit anywhere. He's a good fit, but he's not a perfect fit anywhere, which is crazy to think about. And there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as possible. I I see that you guys are very passionate about some things that I say, which I appreciate. If you keep it respectful, we can debate, we can communicate. It's fine. Uh, but I'm trying to get as many subscribers on YouTube as I can, and it definitely means a lot. So please subscribe. Also, subscribe to the DSPs. I understand that there are some people that only listen to me, and there are some people that only watch me on YouTube. I appreciate both of them equally. So if you do only listen to me on DSPs, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Pandora, wherever you get your podcast, I should be there please subscribe. It means so much to me and I'm just trying to grow or trying to develop and I can't do it without you guys' help. Also, please follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. Those are probably the quickest places to get to me uh, or to to get a response from me if you want to debate or you feel I said something bad about your team or whatever. If you keep it respectful, I don't mind going back and forth. Like I said, the emphasis on that is keep it respectful and we can go back. I understand my opinions, my views aren't the same as everyone's and that's okay. That's why it's called the unpopular podcast. Uh, and I don't I don't mind going back and forth. Just and I don't even mind. I would love it if you changed my mind about something. It means a lot. You know, and it means a lot that not only are you passionate about something that that you're listening to me. So 
Yeah, man. I appreciate you guys. I hope you have a great holidays. Again, I apologize if my voice sounds crazy. Uh, I am getting over being sick. So, yeah. Until next time, much love.